Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in our community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Candace Dock. Chef Candace was born in Minnesota and lived on the White Earth Reservation until she moved out east with her mother in 2005. Finishing her culinary education at the Culinary Institute of America, she has worked her way down the East Coast and now back home here in Fargo, North Dakota. She moved back to the Midwest to be close to her family and her culture. Candace moved home to share her passion for food and agriculture and hopefully to be a support for those who endeavor to do the same. So, Let's jump into this conversation with Chef Candice. Candice, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you would be able to uh, introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. So, um, yeah, my name is Candice Stock, and I currently live in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, I grew up in northern Minnesota on the White Earth Reservation, and um, my mom is Ho-Chunk Winnebago, and so uh, kind of a transplant family. I mean, um, our, uh, our languages are different, and uh, certain customs are different, and so um, it was always a little conflicting when I was going to school because uh, kids would tell me about our culture as Native people, but then I'd go home and my mom would be like, no, that's not right, <laughs> you know, but um, I also spent a lot of time going on the powwow trails with my grandparents. My grandma owned a store selling um anything to make powwow regalia. So bees, leather, buckles, jingles, and uh, kind of allowed me to experience a lot of the tribes of, of the Midwest and even East Coast. Um, I did leave the reservation. My mom was working for Indian Healthcare Services, and then she ended up taking a job with the Bureau of Indian Affairs in the Department of the Interior in DC. And so I moved to Washington DC with her and I finished my high school education, which is where I gained my love for culinary arts. I always loved cooking, but there I had a lot of opportunity to explore uh, tech programs and start working in restaurants and working with chefs that had already trained all over the world. And so they encouraged me to go to the Culinary Institute of America. And from there, I was exposed to so much. Um, I joined every single cultural association at the school. So Korean culture, uh, we had a group of Indians from Calcutta. And so, they made the best food <laughs> and it was really nice to be able to participate in that and 
I tried to start an association for Native kids at CIA. Unfortunately, there were only three of us. <laughs> and so it was always hard to put on events and get funding to do different things. Um, but I think the nice part about being in this that atmosphere was that I got to uh, kind of fit in everywhere. Um, being Native American, people don't automatically assume that I'm white. They're like, oh, you're something else, right? So um, I got to bounce around between all the different ethnic groups at the school. They were very, very welcoming. And um, it allowed me to start focusing more so on what my cultural food was because every time I went into one of these clubs, they were sharing food from their childhood, from, from their countries, and uh, they'd always want me to share. And so um, I'd get to utilize some of my, my own recipes. And I think like the first thing I made was uh, fry bread and wujepe, but like, <laughs> it was, um, I don't know, still so early in my career and, and a lot of the recipes I had were from meetings. And so corn soup and um, very, very simple, simple meals. Um, the food that I wanted to create, I didn't really have a direction for that. And so um, just kind of kept with the fundamentals of, of cooking um, and my education at, at the school. Uh, I took a lot of jobs in catering and uh, for uh, farm to table restaurants. And that allowed me to refine a lot of my technical skills. And then when I was just about done with college, um, my grandparents had started sending me all the articles about Sean Sherman. And so that's kind of brought me to, to new levels in, in how to elevate my cultural cuisine. And um, so, yeah, I'd been following him ever since, I think, like, 2014, when my grandparents started sending me, like, news clippings and stuff like that. Um, he's, he's played a big role in how I present my food and, and um, the purpose and intentions behind the food that I make. Um, so he is one of my bigger influences in my life, as well as uh, I really appreciate Jose Andres. Um, I would um, visit his restaurants quite a bit when I was on the East Coast. And I got to meet him when I had finished college and just how he prepares food for everyone. Like he really, you know, he's gone to third world countries and he's always there for any sort of uh, relief efforts, preparing food for people. And so um, a lot of my philosophy behind the food that I prepare is that it is medicinal, but it uh, is just like security 
and and healing. That that's an interesting point um, about food being security and uh, healing. Um, before before we jump too far into that, um, how how was your path from DC and school, and how how did that bring you back to the Fargo area? So after I finished college at the Culinary Institute of America in New York, I took a job with a farm to table restaurant in North Carolina and was really just focused on areas where the food scenes were just developing. A place where I could be a part of uh, bringing it up and elevating it and showing people something different. And I worked for big catering companies when I was down there and I loved it. I mean, like, I worked a lot with Duke University and um, UNC Chapel Hill, a lot of tech companies, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work also. And all of my family was in the Midwest at that point. Um, I was the only one on the East Coast. And I think like, I'd try to go to powwows. (laughs) And it just wasn't the same. (laughs) Um, Even, I don't know, they'd have uh, events for youth uh, so that they could learn from their elders and hear stories. And they were always played on or like uh, hosted at golf courses. And I was always like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's all outdoors and everything that's tribal land. But at the same time, the events that I went to, they weren't really learning a whole lot about Native American culture or, um, I mean, they could have been playing lacrosse. Like there were so many things that that they could be learning that it wasn't happening. And so it, it made me miss home really. And so I moved back to the Midwest. I moved to Fargo and, um, decided to start a family. And so, um, yeah, just making roots back, back home. And, uh, you know, for the, the listener, it's, it's uh, January of 2023. Uh, how long have you been back in the area? I've been in Fargo for about four years now. Okay. Okay. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, your influences. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Sean Sherman, who was a former guest on this podcast. Um, can uh, maybe, uh, if you wanted to expand more on him, but uh, yeah, if you could uh, touch on other uh, influences. Um, I'd say when it comes to the influences that I have in my industry, uh, some of the chefs I respect the most are the ones that may not have, you know, a James Beard or anything like that, but I mean, they work so hard and where I'm at right now, burn bombs, um, in downtown Fargo, my boss, she would give you everything (laughs) if she could. Uh, she tries to make sure that our menu is accessible to everyone. 
And we're in a spot where we see a lot of um, homeless people and, and stuff like that. And uh, Section 8 housing is right next door. And so she really takes it upon herself to take care of those people and, and give back to the community. She also just takes good care of her staff and her friends. Um, there's a Israeli food truck that I worked for for a little while when I was on the East Coast. It was just a friend and he wanted to do it, but it was the same in that he would work so hard to make pita from scratch and hummus and baba ganoush and um, everything that he did was very much a labor of love. And he didn't sell it for very much either. And I host events at Burn Bombs and I occasionally put a pretty price, high price tag on it, but um, the, the purpose of it is also to support the staff that I have right now. I have chefs that work under me that are so talented and I can tell that they're just gonna do great things. And so a lot of purpose behind having some of these bigger ticketed events at Burn Bombs is so we get to showcase who they are. And I mean, like really go for it, like get them great ingredients and, and put a lot of work into it and also ensure that, you know, they're going to be taken care of financially. That's, that's really impressive. Um, I know uh, my wife, she's um, a huge fan of burn bombs and usually Sunday mornings we'll, we'll go there to have breakfast. Um, the, the menu is, is amazing. And when we have friends come and visit, uh, we, we try to get them up to burn bombs uh, during that visit. Cause it's one of the places we like to show off here in Fargo. Uh, the food quality there is, is, is so great. Um, yeah, not not to make this an ad for burn bombs, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you be able to talk about um, your your career um, uh, starting uh, in college and, and post college? So through college, I had a bajillion jobs. <laughs> um, I worked for the school in the admissions department. I also worked in their dining services. And I had a job with a catering company and then a job with a country club and a yacht club. And I think, I don't know how I did it, but I always had a full schedule and I also worked over 60 hours a week. And so it was intense. <laughs> um, I got a lot of really great experiences. The country club I worked for, um, they hosted a lot of chefs there, like very famous chefs from New York City. So I was doing a lot of the VIP catering in New York and I was able to do private dinners at Liam Neeson's house. And uh, I did a lot of the president's dinner for Vassar University. So I'd, I'd go there and um, Typically, it'd be right before graduation or before a big event. And so there I got to serve and cook for 
Meryl Streep and Lisa Kudrow and Andrew Zimmerman and um, I don't know all those situations I was 19 20 years old and uh, cooking for for celebrities which was intimidating at first but got to be pretty natural which was really nice and then I wasn't really phased by a whole lot I did a lot of high volume high stress restaurants and events and so now a lot of things are just easy <laughs> um North Carolina when I got down there that was after college um I first worked for a farm to table restaurant and they had a lot of issues and uh, lawsuits with their their management staff and and treating people of color poorly and treating women poorly and so I quit that job and uh I guess the nice part about leaving was that I called them out on everything and most of the staff left with me, but um, I hired them, a couple of them in different jobs when I started catering and the company I worked for um, was called Triangle uh, Hospitality Group. And there I did probably like 5,000 people a week. It'd be like a breakfast for 300 at 3 a.m. And then I'd have to do a wedding in the evening at 6 p.m. And so my schedule was all over the place. But um, the people that I worked for, they very much wanted me to learn every position in the company. And so I did. And I did pretty well. <laughs> I got really, really good at it uh, to the point where, I mean, I could do events by myself for 200 people without any problems. There was a wedding where the coordinator got in a car accident on the way there, and I was able to coordinate the wedding, help usher in the bride, and put out all of the food. So that was wow. kind of nice. That seems above and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I was always lucky if I had a dishwasher show up. So typically at the end of the night, I was still there washing dishes too. But oh my gosh. Um, yeah, they taught me that it was every job was worth doing really well. Every job, every person that filled that position was worth every penny and all the training and as much mentoring as possible. So. Wow. Wow. Um, so, uh, how, how many years have you, have you been in the industry now? Um, I'd say since high school. So I started catering and, and, uh, cooking when I was in high school, I did a lot of, uh, cooking shows in DC, just volunteer work or whatever, but um, so about 18 years. Okay, okay. Uh, so, you know, that being said, how have opportunities 
pre- presented themselves over the years because um, opportunities seem to have sort of an evolution uh, as one moves through their career. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those those opportunities? I think events specifically doing catering um, allows a lot more exposure. You get to meet so many people. And so it seems like I just bump into the right people a lot of the time. Um, I had a small birthday party to cater here in Fargo and the person that was hosting it at their house just happened to be working with the governor for the Theodore Presidential Library. And so I got into talking with her about catering and she's like, oh, I usually cater everything. I used to have a catering company and I was like, oh, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I love to do. And I introduced myself and what I'd been doing at Burn Bombs because we host indigenous dinners at Burn Bombs. And she was like, I'm looking for an indigenous chef. And I was like, well, that's perfect, right? So uh, that led to me going out for the land blessing ceremony for the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library. And I got to, to cook indigenous foods for them and introduce myself to everyone that was there. Um, before they had posted the menu, they were like, oh, we're estimating around 200 people. And then it dropped down and they were like, oh, we think it's gonna be like a hundred people. And then they posted the menu and they were like, oh, it's actually going to be 300 people. And it was like the day before. And I was like, it'll be fine. <laughs> and so we were able to put out really great food. I had a couple volunteers from uh, the Rough Rider Hotel, their, their kitchen staff came up and helped. And so I taught them about the food that I was making, some of the ingredients they didn't even have. And so I was like, well, there's some some cedar growing outside I'll just go and clip some branches and and smoke the elk and stuff like that and so everyone was like did you see her she just went outside and got that and I was like yeah but um yeah that's that event led to uh being recognized more so in in Fargo and um one of the indigenous dinners that we hosted at Burn Bombs led to uh, us being approached by the Canadian Consulate and Minnesota Trade Commission to do an Indigenous Foods Project. And so um, we ended up having dinner at Womney and Sean Sherman was there and he was on a panel that spoke with um, Beth Dooley, Dana Thompson, uh, Joshua Shwana, he's from Canada, and um, just kind of introducing us to the projects that they have coming up and um, giving indigenous chefs more of an opportunity to uh, explore our food identity and also just network with one another and meet a lot of uh, ag people also that are helping bring back indigenous seeds so that we can tell them what we want to serve in our restaurants and they can grow it for us and get the seeds. I think that's that's so incredible. Um, you know, I in my conversation with Sean, uh, we talked about um, sort of access to food and access to knowledge and how uh, it's sort of it wasn't as easy years and years ago. Um, but as uh, individuals like yourself, you know, are exploring um, 
different ingredients and the history, um, we're starting to see sort of this, this, this um, almost like a, a contemporaryization of indigenous foods. Um, how important is it for people to, to view indigenous foods as a contemporary modern food? I think right now, everyone's so eager to have uh, real food, real medicinal food. And so uh, you look in, in social media and in any cookbook and they're, they're highlighting ingredients that you kind of have to work for, you have to go find. Um, but also the health benefits that are coming from it. And one of the things that was always taught to me growing up when it comes to our food is that the creator gave it to us. He put certain ingredients on our land so that when we had ailments, we had all the cures right there at our fingertips. We just had to go and find it. And bringing that back and the importance of it and the story behind it, I think is incredibly powerful. And I think people want to experience that. I, you know, I, I know so many people that are so interested in foraging. They all want to go out and, and pick these mushrooms or these berries or whatever and experience that for themselves. And it's not just that the ingredient is good for you and can be executed in a beautiful manner, but it's also something that allows you to connect with the land too. And so a lot of the menus that I put together for burn bombs has required me to go out into the woods and find black walnuts or elderberries or mushrooms. And I express that and tell the story of what it means and why I'm doing it when I prepare my food and, and bring it to the customers. And I think that it adds to their experience, but also is very much meant to nourish their bodies. Wow. So what would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? I think back on when I was 18 to 22 and finding your purpose in your career at that point is is pretty crucial, I think. Um, you have so much energy <laughs> to go out and experience all of these things. And when I was when I was in that age range, I just said yes to everything. I mean, like I could have burned myself out, but at the same time, um, the connections that I've made especially in that time of my life, have really aided my career in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I went to a culinary school, so it's not, not like your regular university. Like everyone is there for the exact same thing. Everyone is very focused on food, wine, agriculture. And so we, we, 
bond. <laughs> uh, you make a lot of friends in, in such a specific school like that when the concentration and you're all all looking to create food and create experiences for people, um, that network doesn't go away. I mean, I can go to any city in the United States. I can go across seas and know people that went to the Culinary Institute of America and that want to help because they want to experience my food. We all want to experience new food and it's always exciting. It's always an adventure. And so finding, finding your group, finding the people that are motivated towards the same goal to sharing the same experiences. If there's young chefs out there right now that are looking to expand their career, uh, I don't necessarily think that they have to go to culinary school, but there are a lot of chefs right now that just wanna teach. They just wanna share. And so go to as many restaurants as you can, work in as many restaurants as you can, and it'll help provide a, a good path, I think. Wow, that's great, that's great. Uh, where, where can the listener um, find your work? I'm pretty much always at Burn Bombs. Um, occasionally I do uh, private chef work, um, right now, I am trying to mentor some younger chefs in their career. I went to school and I went to a very expensive school and I got a lot of great technical skills and um, got my bachelor's in, in business. And so really people just walk into the restaurant or they'll they'll message me on Facebook. People find me everywhere somehow, and um, I'm pretty an accessible person, I guess. But uh, I just love participating, really. Um, so yeah, come to the restaurant or <laughs> message me, I guess, and I'll I'll respond. So uh, what, what do you have coming up? Um, you know, you, you have your indigenous, uh, is it the food series or what, what is it called? Um, we, I guess we haven't put a name to it. I always call it Supper Club. Supper Club. Okay. Burn Bomb, yeah, Burn Bombs doesn't host, or only hosts dinners once a month. Okay. And really we just try to showcase the the staff members that we have so recently for new year's eve we had our dishwasher uh pat her family were slaves and for a long time their maiden name was dishwasher and so that has been her career and what she stuck to and that's what her family did and she showcased soul food and she introduced herself to the community that was able to come to our event and um, they got to experience her favorite foods and, and some of her recipes. And so we try to highlight the skill sets of our staff at Burn Bombs. My wheelhouse is events. And so if I can make it really easy and, and uh, sell it, then 
I'll promote anyone that works with us. Um, the Indigenous dinners have been really successful, and so uh, we just continue to put them into rotation, but it's important to me to not just showcase my own skill set, but to, to provide that for everyone else. But we'll put a link to Birnbaum's uh, website in the show notes, and so people can come check that out. And I believe on there, on the website, they can find um, dates for those events. So, yeah. Well, Candice, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I was pretty nervous. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, it's just you and me. So this is great. Thank you. Thank you. does it for this episode of five plain questions i want to thank candace again for her time and sharing her story with us it's places like burn bombs and other restaurants in town that really make fargo really special it's i would say probably in the last uh 12 10 12 years uh, fargo has really been making an effort to uh bring in really fine restaurants uh both uh, high-end and just really great um sit-down restaurants uh to check out and yeah it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you really want to uh, find a place that really fits what you're looking for odds are Fargo's got it it's been pretty intentional I feel uh, with the, the variety of restaurants that have, have come into, into Fargo and not just on downtown Broadway where Bur- Burnbounce is uh, but on 13th on 25 on Veterans um, there's all over Fargo there's really great places to go more than you would think and so I would invite you that when you come to visit the Plains Art Museum in Fargo, uh, that you check out uh, all the wonderful places. Uh, that being said, uh, take time and check out Burn Bombs on Broadway. There you're going to find Candace and Company creating new dishes for you to enjoy. And this, this isn't a paid advertisement. Uh, this is just uh, an appreciation of a really great place in Fargo. So Candace, uh, thank you again for, for this. I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So, please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, which is now Five Plain Questions Podcast, or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. So, if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please uh, reach out to me on Facebook or message me. Uh, my email address is on the website. Um, I'd really be happy to hear from you. All right, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 more yards per